Hello and welcome to Hawkeye Nation. This is Hotcast, your Iowa football, basketball, and recruiting podcast brought to you by Go Iowa Awesome and Rivals.com. I'm your recruiting analyst and host, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter, joined by publisher Adam Jacoby, at Adam underscore Jacoby, and managing editor Ross WB. Ross Binder uh, is on with us as well. Go follow both of them on Twitter. And yes, for those of you who are listening closely, I am a little sick. So we're going to keep this one a tad short on this Monday episode of HotCast, but we'll get you all the info you need. So to start off, I guess we'll start with the thing that I know nothing about that Adam brought up shortly, uh, just momentarily ago rather, is uh, women's field hockey. If you're unaware, Iowa women's field hockey is traditionally amazing, and they just pulled off a wild upset. So and I know nothing about field hockey, so I'm going to defer to my uh, my two cohorts here, Adam or, or Ross. Uh, take it away, because I don't know. <laughs> yeah, today was a uh, pretty big win for the Hawkeye program, and I believe it's the third straight year in which they have defeated the number one team in the nation. Uh, in this instance, they were playing number one uh, North Carolina and won in overtime, three to two. And uh, Elliot, as you mentioned, field hockey. Um, well, I mean, it, it's all women's field hockey. There's no men's field hockey. There you go. All right, cool. <laughs> but um, but it is traditionally one of the great programs in the nation at the University of Iowa. Uh, has been for decades, going back to uh, the days of Dr. Grant uh, running the uh, the women's athletic department. And big win for the program and in a nice way for the Hawkeyes, who are themselves number seven in the nation, right? We're not talking about a team that's down in the dumps and, you know, decades away from their most prominent years, you know, that's not the case. They, it's a great program and, and this looks like a really good uh, version of it. And um, so to see them continue to put together that kind of success and, and really, uh, you know, plant their uh, flag in the middle of the field, as far as the rest of the field hockey nation goes uh, great to see Ross. Did you have any thoughts about um, the result today and what we saw? Yeah, just kind of echoing what you said. Uh, really great win. Uh, you know, impressive always to beat the number one ranked team. Second straight year, they knocked off North Carolina as the number one team. So, you know, that's a great, great thing. I think with this team, I think that impresses me most is that this is some continued success. So same success, rather, that, you know, this isn't this team has been really good for a few years. Now they're cycling in some new players uh, and they're still maintaining that success. So. I think that's a great sign for the health of the program and their ability to compete for, you know, the top honors in the sport, which hopefully we'll get to see them do as the season goes along. Yeah, and one thing that I'll, I'll just add, and then we can move on to um, some other sports here, but uh, what's nice about the uh, win that they had today is – uh, you know, their, their first two goals that they got, which again, against the number one team in the nation. Uh, in fact, all three goals were by freshmen. Um, Dion Van Aslan or Alsom, uh, Lee Van Kessel. I hope I'm pronouncing those names right. They're both from the Netherlands. So uh, every all of our uh, Dutch listeners, friends, followers, um, <laughs> if we got that wrong, blame me. And, and really, I'm, I'm part Dutch, too. I should know better. But anyway, um, but the fact that those all three goals in, in the winning effort came via freshmen really lets the rest of the Big Ten and the rest of the nation know that 
this team's going to be set up for success for years to come. Yeah. To, I saw that the winning goal was from a freshman. I didn't realize that all the goals were from freshmen. All three. That's wild. Back to it here on, on Hotcast with a little more, uh, I don't know if mainstream sport is the right word, but. but I, I, think, that... I think it qualifies as more okay. mainstream. Yeah. All right. We'll get to football here, uh, here on Hotcast. Before we do that, I want to remind you, anybody who's listening, uh, we have a sale going on for our premium content on iowa.rivals.com. We've got the link on both our Twitter and Instagram where you can sign up. It's on my Twitter as well as at Elliot Clough. I'm going to retweet that right now. So you can go head over and sign up 60% off for the entire year. You're getting great content from us three as well as joining a great community on our boards. And this is a steal. It's only lasting until today. And so sign up while you can. You're going to get some great con- content from us, whether it's recruiting, basketball, football, etc., and apparently field hockey. So go ahead and, and do that. Now, on to football here on HotCast. Apparently, Cade McNamara is back, according to Iowa football social media. I personally, you know, you guys have been around a little bit longer on the Iowa beat. So I was kind of hoping for a release from uh, the the athletic department to get us some full details. But then uh, we heard a little bit from Kirk last week, which I'll defer to you here shortly, Adam, um, on, on what your thoughts were from uh, that presser with, with Kirk. But I was kind of hoping for a release so we could get some more specific information. But we saw the social media post. Everybody's like, oh, okay, Cade's good to go week one. We'll go from here. Uh, <laughs> did, did you spe- expect that, Adam, based on what you heard from, from Kirk last week and in my absence as well? Yes and no. Um, you know, the, the method in, in which this got communicated is, uh, like, like you said, a little bit unusual. Um, but it also sort of feeds into how the program and, and most college football programs handle health information in the middle to late August. There, there's only so much you really want to communicate to the rest of the world. And it's a little bit of a bummer for fans because obviously they want to know what's going on. They want to know the latest updates, but since there's no way to tell fans and, and not have other programs, you know, the, the, the tougher opponent in week two, as, as Kirk uh, put it, there's no way to tell fans without telling those teams too. So I, I understand that they have to be a little bit cagey, but at the same time, seeing that picture of Cade back at practice fits entirely in with what Ferentz was saying in terms of their expectations for his health when he met with reporters last week. They they said that you know they did an MRI; it wasn't as bad as the as they were fearing, and that appears to be accurate. Uh, Ferentz set out the expectation of returning to practice either late last week or early this week. And, you know, if we're seeing this on a Saturday, it it was Saturday, not Friday, right? That they sent that out either way. It's the end of last week. So it's entirely consistent with what we were told. And also nice to see for fans, especially who sort of overreacted to that clip of Cade being a little bit cagey with that, uh, I believe it was the KCCI reporter, in terms of what his status was. And, you know, it's easy to see somebody give an answer that's a little bit evasive and read the worst into it. We're all human. 
but that interview was also released after Kirk had stood in front of all of us as reporters and set forth expectations for when Cade would be back. And that picture that we saw over this weekend was consistent with those expectations and not consistent with people reading the worst into Cade McNamara saying, I'm progressing and that's all I want to say. Right. There's, and, and there are valid ways to interpret that as, Oh, I'm out for the year and I just don't want to tell you. And I'm sure there's a team rule about don't break news about your injuries before we can break it too. And, and I don't know when that interview occurred relative to when we got to talk to uh, coach Ferentz. Like, I, I don't know. And honestly, I don't care. The point is we were given the timetable. This looks consistent with the timetable. I think it does not need to be more complicated than that. So it's good news for the, for the program, obviously to have QB one on the field with his players. It's still, like you said, like we didn't get the release. Maybe we'll talk to these guys at the beginning of the week. Usually a starting quarterback, if he's healthy is going to be made available. So we'll see who they give us. We'll be able to get a little bit more information at that point. But right now, everything looks the way that they've set it out for us. So I was, well, I was, as I'm currently sick right now, I was sick when I saw it. So I was like, oh my gosh, I feel like crap, tweet, done. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I just echo everything you said, Adam. Um, I am of the mind that, this is a scenario where the Iowa staff would take the utmost precaution as well. And so if there was a scenario where we saw Deacon Hill in week one and then they trotted out Cade in week two, I wasn't going to be shocked. I was preparing for that. I shot a message to our uh, one of our uh, Wisconsin rivals folks, John. I think it's McNamara actually as well now that I think about it. But um, with that said – I uh, so I, I shot him a message and we were possibly going to do a podcast about what's Deacon Hill going to bring. And, and obviously we've seen a little bit of him as well. Cannon of an arm. But I, I think where we're at currently is where probably 75 percent of the fan base expected. I think everybody's there's still just a little bit of a glaze of nervousness over the fan base, I would imagine, with the way things are right now in his soft tissue issue to quote Kirk Ferentz. And I, I think, I, I don't think we're going to learn a lot until we see him on the field, to put it frankly. I don't think we're going to learn enough until we see how he moves and if he's fluid and, and trusts that knee. And we will, we will see th this coming weekend against Utah State. Ross, any thoughts for you there? Yeah, I mean, at this point, we're, you know, trying to – impart a lot of analysis into one picture that was posted on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, so, true. you know, yeah, there's, just, there's, there's just so much, only so much we can do. Right. I mean, I think that there are, but that said, there are still some good things we can take from that. Like if I think if Iowa didn't think he was a possibility to play this weekend, uh, there's really no point in them putting, posting that picture at all. Like, right. you know, if they're concerned about his health, they're not even going to fan the flames to that extent, really. So that that's probably a good sign. That said, I think we just need to kind of wait and see this week to see 
you know, how does he react to getting back into practice and, you know, doing some more physical stuff? And then, you know, what's he going to look like in terms of availability for Saturday? Uh, I know we'll get to see uh, what you guys do on get to talk to Kate on Tuesday, hopefully with the uh, media availability. So hopefully maybe you can find out some more there. That'd be great, but we'll just uh, have to wait and see, I think this week for, for what his status is. But I think things are overall in a more positive place than they were a week ago, for sure, uh, in terms of Kate and his availability. So that's great. You know, speaking of um, waiting and see for this week, there are a lot of things that we do want to see this week. Uh, I, I think for me, obviously, number one is going to be offensive line, how that plays. But but more directly, because everybody's going to say offensive line as well, they should, right? That's It's, it's a pretty obvious number one outside of uh, Cade, which is 1A. But not only am I looking at what the top five is going to be, the starting five, but I'd like to see how deep the rotation is and how many snaps these guys who aren't in the uh, starting lineup are going to get. Because I think that's going to tell us a whole lot about how well the coaches trust the depth. You know, they can stand in front of us and say that they've got eight guys they trust. If the game actually happens and we see six guys and the other two are healthy, you know, maybe the, maybe the game dictates that. But more likely, it's a situation where we're really starting to see a little bit of separation between certain units. I think we're going to see a rotation of at least eight guys while the game is in some sort of doubt, maybe even more, just because they want to see how some of the players who haven't seen a whole lot of field time do against live competition. But we'll see. I, I, that is something that I really want to pay attention to. Uh, I, I have noticed for example, that among the transfers coming in, we started to hear Rusty Feth's name a little bit more than Deshaun Parker. How much do I want to read into that? I think we'll find out in week one. So that is that in particular, and also just sort of how that offensive line helps this team create first downs, whether it's you know, moving the point of attack three yards every time they hand the ball off. And if that's the case, then I was winning this thing by 30 because that is a very, very familiar and comfortable blueprint for this team. And also, are they going to keep McNamara upright? Or if it's going to be Deacon Hill in there, you know, somebody who doesn't have that sort of escapability, somebody whose mobility is sort of closer to the last two starting quarterbacks, uh, I was had under center, you know, are they going to be able to keep him upright and let him make clean, you know, timely throws that he can step into? Because if he can, you know, he's got the arm to really, really punish a defense, but a lot of things have to go right in order for that to, to take place. So that is the scope of what I'm looking for, for that offensive line. Uh, guys, anything else that you're looking for from this game? Well, I'll continue on that offensive line spot. I'm curious as to who's going to start. I think you've already hit that, Adam. But based on the clips that we got from that Big Ten network, uh, like little mini documentary kind of thing that they were doing, and the clips that were shown on Twitter specifically, I believe we saw Richmond at left tackle, Rusty Feth at left guard, 
Logan Jones at center, obviously, uh, and um, Connor Colby at right guard, and then Jennings Dunker at right tackle. I've heard some rumblings about Dejon Parker being available this time around, so this would be the first time we see him in his short tenure here at Iowa, obviously. Didn't see him in the spring game, didn't see him at kids' day, and so will he start even though Jennings Dunker has gotten way more reps at this point by at least the what we've seen? And I, if I were to lean one way or the other, I'd probably say Jennings Dunker at this point, just because of that edge in terms of reps probably and for week one. Yes. Yeah. Right. And so does Dejon Parker get snaps? Does he get a lot of snaps in, in that rotation? Do you think he does Adam? That's what I'm curious to find out too. Absolutely. Okay. okay. Yeah. So you're shaking your head. I always got to yeah. check. Um, and, and with that, I mean, do we see a lot of Nick DeYoung young too? In the one snap we saw where I read into him, he was playing right guard. He got beat bad. And I think it was by, Oh gosh, I couldn't tell you if it was YA black or, or no graves, but it was kind of an ugly snap. So, and you know, that's a very, very small sample size against a very, very talented team. So, um, or a very talented position group. So, I, I'm really excited about seeing that that as well. So go ahead, Ross. Yeah, I just wanted to echo what you guys were saying in terms of the offense. I think, you know, there's some big obvious things that we're looking to see from this weekend's game against Utah State. Uh, you know, Cade, does he play? What does he look like? What's the offense like with him running it? And then the offensive line, you know, in specific, I think what I want to see is, you know, how dominant can this unit be, especially against a Utah State defense? You know, if this – if they're able to push around Utah State and also keep the pocket very clean for Cade, I don't think that necessarily tells us a ton about, you know, how they'll fare against the Big Ten, but it's a good sign. If they're getting pushed around by Utah State and, you know, Cade or Deacon have to scramble a lot or there just aren't a lot of holes for the running game, probably not going to make us feel great about the offense, uh, you know, beyond the fact that week one is always kind of that learning curve, but that just wouldn't be a great sign for the offense moving forward. So I think specifically, I want to see how dominant can this offensive line be against probably one of the weakest defenses they'll face this season. So, uh, but, you know, aside from that, I think the other thing on offense that is really interesting is those wide receivers, you know, can we get some big plays out of that unit? We've got, you know, the big new faces, when Caleb Brown and Seth Anderson, who everyone wants to see what they can do uh, in black and gold, of course. We've got Deontay Vines, high, healthy for the first time in a long time. I mean, I guess he was healthy at the end of last season, but he's dealt with tons of injuries the last couple of years. So yeah, he's able to Vines, practice with the team. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, healthy Vines, he's a guy that they've talked about a lot um, and we just haven't been able to see what he can do. So I think that's exciting. And then, you know, we still got Nico uh, and the tight ends too, of course. So, you know, can we see some big plays out of that passing game that we frankly haven't seen for quite a while? Um, we've got the, it looks like Iowa has some weapons now, so let's see what they can do. What do you think, Adam? Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with that. I, I think it'll also be very informative or can be very informative how many of those targets go to each receiver? You know, if Regani is uh, still the sort of 10 target safety blanket uh, for the quarterback, 
you know, maybe that says something good about him as a possession receiver, but it also might say something about the level of trust that is there or not quite there with those incoming guys. So if I'm trying to look for a reason for optimism, I think one thing that I'm definitely looking for is a lot of targets for guys like Vines or for Flipper Jr. or for uh, Caleb Brown, right? The you want to see that report or that rapport sooner rather than later because Iowa state's coming up in week two and that defense still knows how to really make life difficult for opposing offenses. And and they play in the big 12. They, they know what a really, really capable and potent passing attack looks like, and they know how to address it. So Iowa will be up against a challenge there, and you want to see that full breadth of trust between quarterback and receiver in place. So you really sort of want to see it against Utah State. Uh, This isn't a situation where it's like it's all known quantities and you just keep the playbook as super vanilla as possible. You know, there have been some Iowa teams that have that luxury. I don't quite think this is one of them, just with all the new faces that are in place. But I also don't think that's a very high bar to clear for this quarterback. Uh, even, I mean, I'll, I'll just say it, I don't think it's too high of a bar for Brian Ferentz to clear either. I, I don't think this is a situation where you can say, yeah, well, they're new. They were brought in by choice, and they were brought in to contribute immediately. And immediately means week one to me. And it's there's really not going to be a whole lot of opportunities and situations that are more conducive to success for the new quarterback, for the new receivers than this. I mean, it's it's week one. It's the Western Michigan game. It's about it. Like the Big Ten is going to be rough for everybody. That's just how it gets played here. I'm absolutely curious to see how that ends up shaking out. And uh, in, in reference to a point you made, Adam, about them being new, is if there are any struggles, oh, we're going to hear about that. We're going to hear, oh, but but they're new. But like you guys, I'm definitely intrigued as to where a majority of the targets go um, in the passing game at, at that point. And so especially, like you said, Adam, with the Seth Andersons, with the Caleb Brown, but also – Forgive me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we saw a ton of targets to Luke Lachey in that in the Kids Day game either. Um, so I'm intrigued as to where he and Eric all come in um, offensively. And then definitely a tertiary thing for me when it comes to the offense, second to or third to Cade and the receivers is, well, okay, maybe it's fourth uh, in addition to the offensive line is how much of Jazz Patterson do we see? Um, I, I just, he's just fun to watch and he's a younger name that can pop you in the mouth. And I think that's a guy that you, in addition to the two running backs and what they do really well in Caleb Johnson and LaShawn Williams is jazz Patterson is one of those power five backs where these group of five backs come in. It's like, golly, I hate tackling that guy. (laughs) 
<laughs> like that's 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 the difference for Jazz Patterson in in G five versus versus P five for me and and why he's he's with Iowa for sure. But that's one I'm really excited to see. And then lastly, I don't I don't know if you, you hit it on it, Ross, but um, is the defensive line and how that rotation goes. And and we'll get into another topic here before the end of the pod regarding the defensive line. But I'm intrigued due to the absence of Noah Shannon how the one and three tech defensive tackle positions rotate. If it's going to be strictly a mixture of Logan Lee, uh, Aaron Graves and YA black, or are we going to see some Pittman? Are we going to see some Ontario Thompson? I don't think that's going to be the case until later on in the season, but especially we didn't see Pittman at uh, kids day because he had a family obligation. And uh, we heard a little bit about that from Kirk, but Who's, who's going to be another body in there if we do see another body? Because we know those three are going to be seeing snaps and significant snaps on the interior of the defensive line. But is – I mean, it, what I'm curious about is are they going to get to a point where they put Logan Lee at the one-tech? Because he's definitely a three-tech defensive tackle. It's effectively another defensive end in there, right? And he's got a big, long body. So how that shakes out and if Ontario Thompson and, and Pittman see some, see some time in there. Yeah, I'm a little bit curious about that, too. I know that the coaches mentioned during media day that they were in a point where they trusted three defensive tackles, three defensive ends. And you sort of have to assume that Noah Shannon wasn't going to be one of those three. One, because of the injury situation. Two, because of the gambling situation. And three, because you're you're looking at a situation where you've also got, we've mentioned YA Black, we've mentioned Aaron Graves, we've mentioned um, Logan Lee. And those are these, those are three as known quantities as possible as defensive linemen go. So, you know, if you throw Noah Shannon into that mix, one, you're already at four, and I don't think that you can take any anyone out of that, like, group of trusted players, etc. Um, so I think Excuse me, that's going to be interesting to watch. But also, this is a Utah State game. This is this is week one against a group of five team. So they are going to probably, hopefully, need some depth beyond the trusted rotation. And I think, yeah, you look at a guy like Pittman, maybe you see Ethan Herkett, you know, get that sort of Van Ness treatment spend a few snaps on the interior, you know, even if it's just sort of like a five technique, uh, you know, because he's, he's the guy who's listed at 260, you know, sort of has that frame to move into the interior or at the very least, you know, challenge some of the um, more interior blockers and uh, in, in obvious passing situations, because we've seen Iowa's coaches and, and Phil Parker do a lot of that. Um, I mean, gosh, how many times did, have we seen, uh, or did we see AJ Epinesa uh, line up uh, straight up over a, a over a guard on third and long? And and why? Because you know they trusted him to beat that block um, to you know to such a frequency that you know that's the most competitive personnel package they could have for that. So I, I think we are going to see some creativity in the personnel packages. And I think who they choose for them is going to be very instructive in terms of setting expectations for the rest of the year. Uh, I don't think they have to be sort of coy about who they've got available, who they can trust. Uh, 
and and these are a lot of they're going to be a lot of newer and less familiar less experienced faces so this is their opportunity to prove that when it does come time you know in the in the scenario that you don't want to see where another one of those interior linemen interior defensive linemen goes down you know who will be the next man in at that point because depth can turn itself into an issue real quick uh and on the line there's nowhere to hide so who's going to earn that trust against an opponent like utah state who is d1 you know they they hit hard too but it's a situation where if you're brought in to the university of iowa you're brought in with the expectation that you are going to be competitive in that situation or you're probably just not going to see the field for a while. So I'm, I'm very curious to see what that participation list looks like, what that snap list looks like, and what we can interpret from that. Last thing before we get out of here on this Monday episode of Hotcast is, well, I, I touched on it a little bit, is the Noah Shannon suspension. And no, he cannot redshirt this year and come back again for a seventh year. He is donezo after uh, this this season, unfortunately, unless that appeal goes through and he's able to come back. And now I I typed this out before uh, the, the pod, and I hate it, but I'm going to say it anyway. If I were a betting man, too oh soon. Boy. It's just oh, so too oh soon. Boy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, uh, this podcast I, it, is over. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it came to mind, and I was like, oh. But anyway. So in regards to in regards to the uh, the the suspension, honestly, I don't think the appeal goes anywhere. And this is just conjecture. I don't I don't have any sources. I don't know anything about this in in specifics in in the intricacy of it all. But this strikes me as a as an attempt to put the rest of the NCAA on notice and the rest of college football on notice and say. We're not tolerating this. And so I highly, highly doubt Shannon gets his his eligibility back. Um, do I hope for his sake? Absolutely. But I, I don't think we'd see him take another snap as, as a Hawkeye, unfortunately. Yeah, I tend to agree, unfortunately. I, I too, you know, set it, setting aside everything else, what we're ultimately talking about is a sixth-year senior who made the decision to come back to use his – free year of eligibility to, to be with this team. And like coach Ferentz said, it, it would be a real shame if that last year of eligibility just gets wiped away for what we understand was a bet on another Iowa team, but it was for them to win at the very least. Uh, I don't believe we've gotten any details other than that, um, that it wasn't a law breaking situation at the very least, but we're talking about an athlete who bet on, even if it was for bet on another team at the same school. And if you're trying to protect the integrity of the sport, which, whichever sport that was, one of the things that you want to make sure doesn't happen is the people who might have access, who really, really, really might have access to privileged non-public information, uh, especially as it pertains to injuries, planning. Athletes talk to each other across sports. 
Uh, it, it's just a thing that happens. And, and that's why the rule was in place to begin with. I am not optimistic for Noah from a, just like you said, just looking at it from a what's going to make the most sense situation. It, it would be a surprise, a pleasant surprise, but it would be a surprise if the NCAA looked at that situation and said, yeah, yeah, well, we'll, we'll, we'll slide on that one. You're right. You're right. But at the same time, Kirk Ferentz is kind of right because this is a situation where Shannon and the rest of the Iowa football players have been subject to an investigation that 129, it, if there's 131 D1, like FBS programs, and I think it's 131 this year, whichever one it is, let's say it's 131, 129 D1 FBS college football programs have not had to get audited like this. And Ferentz is pretty sure, given, and, and I sort of am too, given the frequency, the, the, the prevalence of people who have run afoul of that law at Iowa and Iowa State, do we really think it's only here in these state borders? Uh, Ross, it's the, it's the state below you. Uh, do we really think that there's any program who would be able to get out of the unscathed? Maybe there's a few, right? You know, you, you look at enough of them and, and maybe some of them are completely clean. Maybe they're, uh, Education that they do, the, the NCAA-mandated education has clicked with all of them. Maybe that's the case. Maybe. I would, if even if that were the case, and Ross, you're shaking your head. Mentally, I'm shaking my head, too. Even if that were the case, we're talking about a small majority and, or, or a, a small part of that population of teams. I think the vast majority of, of teams would have consequences relating to people's eligibility that Iowa and Iowa State have faced. And, you know, it's for as much as Ference is upset about this situation, Iowa State got hit worse in terms of what they can expect for people to, uh, or from contributors for this season. So I, I bet Matt Campbell's even angrier about the situation and angrier about the fact that 49 other states aren't, you know, going after their <laughs> college football players. So, I get why Kirk Ferentz sort of thinks that this is a little bit unfair because it kind of is, but it's, it's also sort of not up to the NCAA. All they can do is just work with the information they've got. And it's, it's the regulators who have access to this sort of incriminating information. And we'll, we'll see how the rest of the nation handles it or doesn't handle it. My guess is, every other racing and gaming commissioner or whatever, you know, the, the Tennessee or, or, or California or Arizona equivalent of that is I, if I'm in one of those departments and I'm looking at what this has turned into, I'm, I'm trying to find the upside into investigating any of it, which isn't to like hop into moral relativism and, and you know, like looking the other way and this and that, but I just don't see what the benefit of any of this has been. I really don't. And it, I, I just, I feel bad for Noah Shannon as a person that, you know, he messed up and, and there are consequences for messing up, right? But for him to lose the rest of his eligibility for this, which just so happens to be one year, that's rough for him. And especially when once you start to think about how many other players out there 
have probably done the same or worse and are not losing their eligibility for it, that would really, really rub me the wrong way. Uh, not only if I were the player, if I were his family member, if I were a coach, if I were a fan, that would really, really rub me the wrong way. Yeah, I, I would certainly agree with that. I don't think the NCAA is going to be persuaded by Ference's argument that Iowa and Iowa State are being targeted uh, by these investigations. I don't think that's going to have any impact on their uh, punishments nor their appeals decisions. Uh, you know, unfortunately, in the case of Noah Shannon. Um, so I, I think that's, you know, I would like to be wrong about that, but I, I don't think that's going to be persuasive. If you wanted anything, if the NCAA was thinking about, you know, revising their sanctions in terms of college athletes gambling, you know, that could possibly have an impact on, you know, the players affected. But even there, I think the fact that Shannon, you know, is alleged to have bet against or bet on an Iowa team uh, is probably a compelling factor in their, their decision-making process. If he had bet on the bulls or the of an issue, but I think when it comes to college athletes betting on college sports, I would imagine they're probably going to continue to maintain a very hard line against uh, that. So as well, they should. Yeah. I I don't see a lot of reason for optimism for Shannon, which is very unfortunate. Like Adam said, you know, he came back specifically for one more year, uh, you know, to be with this team, to contribute to a, a run towards hopefully a big 10 championship. And, and things like that. And it looks very unlikely that he'll get to be a a part of that. So uh, that is unfortunate. Elliot, anything else to add? No, I think you guys hit it. Uh, It's uh, one thing is there's division one football in 48 States. I believe Kirk Ferentz made sure it's or 49 States, not 50, all 50. So just so you know, uh, he, he has made sure that we know that he's, uh, he's said it just about every time we've talked about it. So there's no D one football in Alaska. So we don't have to worry about Alaska, but the other 48 States, uh, including Iowa in there. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think uh, I think we got it, guys. So an unfortunate set of circumstances. And truthfully, I don't even know what you take into an appeal process when it comes to Shannon here, other than, hey, I bet other people are doing it. <laughs> I mean, what do you say to a cop when you get pulled over? There are other people with speed. I bet there's other people with taillights out, you know? So... I, I think this is just a, a circumstance that's unfortunate and I've had great interactions with Noah and in, in the few that I've been able to talk to him. So I definitely feel bad for him and, and the circumstances suck. And to reiterate one thing that we've hit before here is that if there is a position where you lose a starter on the Iowa roster that you feel okay about it, obviously you don't want it, but you feel okay about it. It's defensive line because of that depth they have there. And we've, we've written about that a little bit on the, uh, on Iowa.rivals.com. If you want to check it out, we uh, elaborate a little bit more on who could replace Noah Shannon on the interior of the defensive line. One name we didn't mention is Brian Allen. He uh, was, a, was a star in the kids day game. And I've seen some photos of him and get, when you get to see him up close, you can see him as, as a guy that could possibly take on that, that interior spot too. So that's a name that, uh, I wanted to bring up as well in that regard. Now we'll wrap it up here, but thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Hotcast here. 
from iowa.rivals.com and go Iowa Awesome. Before we get out of here, make sure that you check out that sale. Annual subscription is 60% off, more than half the price chopped off for the entire year at iowa.rivals.com. Promo code is kickoff2023. No spaces, no any extra stuff in there. It's K I C K O F F. 2023. And if you click our autofill code on both Go Iowa Awesome and my page on Twitter, it's at Elliot Clough. You can autofill that and it'll get it all taken care of for you. 60% off for the whole year. That's a steal on football, basketball, and recruiting info on iowa.rivals.com. You get access to premium articles as well as our boards where you can get a ton of inside information. So we appreciate you tuning in to this episode of Hotcast brought to you by iowa.rivals.com. If you're not a premium subscriber yet, go do that. Get that 60% off. And if you are not on Twitter, you can check it out at iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe. And that promo code is kickoff2023. Kickoff2023, no spaces. Also, don't forget to subscribe wherever you are listening. Leave that rate and review. When If you're on Apple Podcasts, you leave a five-star rate and review. You can ask us, ask us a question. We'll be sure to hit it on our next episode of Hotcast. For now, we'll see you next time.